the Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students. Hello and welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast. I am Nia Marshall. My guests today are Felina Grosner and Maureen Mahmood, who are both currently bar course students at BPP and the University of Law, respectively. Both Felina and Maureen have obtained scholarships from Gray's Inn. Felina is a Jean Southworth scholar and Maureen, who is a mature student, is a Baroness Hale of Richmond scholar. Our guests do share something in common. The fact that they have been able to excel and pursue the bar course in spite of their non-traditional backgrounds and challenging paths. Thank you both for joining. Hi. Hi, Nia. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Now, we're going to begin with asking you both to share a bit about your background. Maureen, could you provide us some information about your background? Yes, of course. So I actually come from a British-Pakistani background. My parents are migrants. My father worked many low-income jobs whilst my mother was a housewife raising the family. I attended a non-selective state school and I am the first person in my family to attend university. So yeah, I would say a low-income low household is what I grew up in and, and the only thing that I knew. Now, Felina, could you share some information about your background? Thank you, Nia. So I was also raised in a lower-income household. I was born and raised in Croydon, South London. Both my parents worked and so I attended a lot of after-school free activities, etc. and had free school meals no member of my family has graduated from university. My brother did attend university, but didn't graduate. Um, no members of my family are lawyers, barristers, or any typically impressive professions in a typical sense. Now, Maureen, I know that you worked as a supervisor for a magazine publisher, and you also ran your own mobile beauty business along with being a contracts manager for a number of years. What impact did these activities or, or these non-legal professions have on whether or not you wanted to pursue law? Well, it wasn't actually my non-legal professions that brought about the law in my life. Um, law became of interest when I went through the court system for personal familial reasons. I find the whole concept incredibly fascinating and this is what enticed me to get myself back into education. So what would you say encouraged you then to pursue the law? I think it just became a newly found passion and I just wanted more in life. I just knew I was worth more than what I was doing and, and I'd never had the opportunities or been given the opportunities to ever decide on what I wanted to do in life so I found the right opportunities and went for them. Interesting and most of the time persons think that going to pursue the, the legal profession that many people don't have to face many adversity and trials but I do know that both of you successfully overcame many hurdles. So Felina, how did you do at A-levels or while pursuing your degree? 
Yes. So at A-levels, I actually obtained, a bit embarrassingly, a C in law. So this is something that I find quite difficult to put on all my applications for pupillage. And it does make me feel I underperformed. I also obtained um, another C and B. So no A-stars here. I use the personal circumstances box on on my application forms to explain why I underperformed in A-levels. And for me, this was due to a house move that was necessary for my parents at the time, which meant, as I'm sure many of you know, not all exam boards match up if you have to move schools, or I'm sure this happens a lot internationally. So I had to restart some subjects. I had to drop some subjects. I didn't have a teacher for my history A-level. So it was just general lack of certainty and lack of schedule that happened to me smack bang in the middle of my exams. As I've said, I use the box on the circumstances that always appears on scholarship applications, pupillage applications to explain why. But it is something that sort of follows me around uh, as an underperformance that I'm not as proud of. Maureen, given that you were a mature student, um, how did you do at A-levels or while pursuing your degree? Well, Nia, I actually had no A-levels. And in order to get onto the LLB programme, I went on to complete the Access to Higher Education which is equivalent to A-levels, but it is actually done in one year. I found the whole concept very, very difficult. I had gone back into education after a number of years, but I managed to do it somehow. I have no idea how, but I managed and got through it. So following that, I got on to the LLB and that's where I found my comfort zone and the degree just just went with the flow and everything just came together and I I I didn't perform overly well in my first year however I started to build a rapport with the lecturers who got to know me quite well and advised me at every possible opportunity. And I guess that's how I developed developed those skills that I somehow left behind when I did leave education and then enter back into the world of education. It was a massive, massive difference for me. Now, I know that adversity in trials is sometimes synonymous with ongoing challenges with your mental health. Felina, Do you have any ongoing challenges with mental health or do you feel insecure about the profession at all? Yes, I think the common expression that you hear is imposter syndrome. And it's true. I felt this when I was in the waiting room to have my scholarship interview. There were very well-spoken individuals discussing how, how many barristers they knew and how they expected barrister X that they'd met several times to actually be one of the barristers interviewing that day and how they hoped they got that person. I couldn't really have said that I knew a barrister by name. Um, So that was very off-putting, you know, 10 minutes before my interview. 
and that's just one example of, of the times I've, I've felt that way. What about you, Maureen? Do you have any insecurities that you have to consistently grapple with? Oh, yes, most definitely. Given my background and being a mature student, yes, I, I truly have felt the well-known imposter syndrome, as Felina has just mentioned. It does creep upon me on many occasions and it's it's pretty consistent with a lot of the things that I do and yes through through the degree through now doing the BPC I find myself questioning whether I am actually capable and whether I should actually be here. No the imposter syndrome can really have a, a detrimental effect on on one's mind if you don't have a source of inspiration. Would you say you have a source of inspiration, Felina, and and what is it? Yes, that's very poignant. You do need something or someone, I think, to focus on. So when you are having that particularly bad day where you do feel like an imposter, you can say to someone, am I good enough? So whether that's um, a mentor, a barrister, or someone completely unacademic. So I know for a lot of us, that may be your parent. And for me, quite typically, it is. It's my mother who, as I mentioned earlier, worked all throughout my life, not just my dad bringing home the bacon, as they say. She lost her sister, my auntie, to cancer when I was in my early teens. I think I was about 12. And my mother herself had cancer in 2015. And to watch someone, similarly maybe to mental health that really drains you, to watch someone go through an illness, battle it and be there for you, despite going through so much themselves, she is just inspiration that I could never be to somebody else. She really is my rock. Wow. And Felina, uh, Maureen, sorry, following on from that, what, what is your source of inspiration? My inspiration would actually be my son. He was two years old when I decided to go back into education. And I was a single mum throughout the process. So he inspired me to do better, to want more, and to know that we deserve more in life. And I will have to go out there and get it. Otherwise, I will. Otherwise, we will never, never be able to reach those goals that I had in my mind. So, yeah, he, he became my inspiration and I followed through with it. Truly inspirational indeed. What advice regarding combating these challenges would you give to persons who are in a similar situation, Felina? Um, I think that's quite a hard question. Everyone deals with things differently. But I think, you know, you just have to cut yourself some slack. And no matter how long that takes or how you do that, you just have to look at yourself and say, actually, I have X, Y, Z positives. I have X, Y, Z strengths. And just remind yourself of that. Do you have anything to add to what Felina said, Maureen? Well, someone recently or very recently said something to me um, during a webinar, which was to repeat to myself that I am enough. And it works wonders. 
Believe in yourself and don't let anyone tell you that you are not capable and that you are not enough. Because yes, you are enough. Yes, yes, indeed, we are enough. Now, there are some students who are battling with whether or not they should pursue the legal profession only because they are a bit intimidated due to the fact that they may not have attained the grades that they wished they could have either at A-levels or at the LLB level. What tips would you offer someone like that, Felina? What, what, what do you think? Yes, so that's something that I have faced and I have actually asked barristers about my A-levels and, and asked, you know, will I get an interview despite this? And what I've been told and, and what I will tell others is, you need to be practical and you need to write that perceived weakness as a strength. You need to look at the thing that you think puts you down and use it to your benefit. So, for example, with me and my A-levels, I didn't do as well as I wanted to. But when I was studying for my degree, I did some very good work and I'm proud of my result. So if I'm asked about my A-levels in any interviews, I will say, yes, I had this circumstance at the time, but because I performed badly, it really motivated me to do better. I wanted to show the whole world that I'm better than those A-levels. And I've since done that. And this motivates me time and time again. So that's just an example of just turning that thing you think is, is a weakness and using it to show why you're motivated now. Maureen, what tips could you offer? Well, I'd say if I can do it, so can you. I, I truly believe that. And I just say, yes, you will face adversities. It, it's an incredibly difficult process and profession to get into. Sometimes you won't get the grades that you want or you wished for. And yes, we've all been there. I, I have suffered with bad grades but then you compensate you think about how you will compensate for those grades do something else do something that's outside of the box and which will make you stand out effectively on those applications so like Felina just gave you the example of compensating your grades you know if you haven't done good in one thing work harder do better in something else even doing work experience, mooting, debating, etc., does add to the value of what you bring to an application. Yeah, if I, if I may, Nia, just touch on um, what was just said, I completely agree. You can direct to other things you've done, so charity work or actual just employment. Let's say you know you haven't been financially stable and you've had to work throughout your degree or your A levels, and maybe that's why you didn't do so well point out how motivated you are because you've been working or whatever else you may have been doing. Those are invaluable tips. And now in spite of your adversity, both of you successfully obtained scholarships, especially scholarships from Grey's Inn. Now, Felina, could you care to give us a brief description of your scholarship? So I was awarded the Jean Southworth Scholarship, which is referred to as a named scholarship on the Grey's Inn website. So there's there's a number of these um, and I believe 
all or the majority come with a base value of £5,000. Um, and then your financial situation is evaluated and that amount can be changed. Okay, well, congratulations on attaining that scholarship. How does it feel to know that a panel of barristers um, at Gray's Inn believe in you enough to, to have awarded you that, that scholarship? Well, there were two very dramatic moments when, firstly, when I left the interview and I felt just satisfied over what I'd said and the panel were so friendly to me and so professional and it felt, I, I felt, I hate to say I knew I was going to get a scholarship because obviously I didn't, but I felt I'd done my best. So if I hadn't have got one, I would have still been proud of what happened. And I was practically skipping down the street. And then when I was actually told that I was getting my scholarship, it was, as we mentioned earlier, the imposter syndrome. It <laughs> the, the feeling hasn't lasted forever, but for, let's say, a few months or however long, I just felt, well, it doesn't matter what any other barrister thinks of me, any other person thinks of me. These three panel members chose me and Grey's Inn is willing to give me this money with, with basically no strings attached to do what I was going to do anyway. I was going to find my way to the bar. I was going to try and fund it somehow at some point, but they believed in me enough to give me you know, open this door for me. It was incredible. What difference has attaining that scholarship made in regards to your journey into a career at the bar? Well, for one, I wouldn't have started studying now. So I've just started in September on a part-time basis. And without that money, the simple answer is I wouldn't have started. I would have spent another year saving um, and hopefully have started this time next year. But that all depends on, you know, my personal financial situation, my employment. Um, I, I might not have even started next year. Well, for one, I wouldn't have started studying now. So I've just started in September on a part-time basis. And without that money, the simple answer is I wouldn't have started. I would have spent another year saving. Um, and hopefully have started this time next year. But that all depends on, you know, my personal financial situation, my employment. Um, I, I might not have even started next year. Felina, how many times did you apply for the scholarship? This was my second time when I was successful. So the first time was the year before, as you're only allowed to apply to one in per year. I applied to Lincoln's in the first time and I was offered an interview. I was unsuccessful. And then the second time was with Grays the following year where I was clearly um, successful. What made you change in terms of applying from Lincoln's in to then move into a play to Grey's in for their scholarship? Um, that's a really good question. I think there are similarities to the inns and there are big differences. And I think actually attending the interviews and, and meeting some members since has really shown me that it was the right choice 
But in terms of why I did it at that time, it was more practical. I thought that as I'd been unsuccessful, that it was more likely that I would get an interview with another inn. So I don't know if that is something that the inns do. I'm sure that it probably doesn't. It personally felt that I'd let myself down in that first interview and I didn't want to go back to that inn. I wanted to try afresh with a new inn. I had also been to a pupillage open day and I'd met some student members of Gray's Inn. They spoke very highly about Gray's Inn and they explained to me the interview process and they actually told me that they had scholarships. And meeting someone who actually had a scholarship for the first time made it real to me. And I thought, let's try Gray's Inn. Maybe I'll try another inn next year. That's the honest answer. Now, I know that you were unsuccessful the first time. Can you identify any areas of weakness during your unsuccessful interview? Yes. So I had never been to an interview like this before. I hadn't been to a university interview, other scholarship interview or or pupillage interview. And so I was used to a normal job interview, which I find is very much a to and fro. It's quite an informal conversation at times. And this was very question, answer, question, answer. So for example, the first thing I was asked was, how is your current employment? What what do you like about your current employment? And I said something like, oh, it's it's very good. It's very hard. And that was it. Because I expected a follow-up question such as, what do you do there? What have you learned there, etc. But that doesn't happen. You have to really care about each thing you say, each sentence you say. So I completely froze at one point because I was just so unused to the methods. So I would say that an area of, of weakness is really not being prepared for that structure of interview. Having three people interview at once, that's quite unusual as well. And, and you may not have had that in a job interview. So Felina, what, what did you do to improve? I rehearsed, rehearsed, rehearsed my answers. So the typical questions that you expect to be asked, you should, well, I found it very helpful to know them and know them in an unrobotic way. So I practiced them until I could say them without thinking. So why I wanted to be a barrister, what area of law. And that means that when they ask you a question that you're not prepared for, I found that I had space in my brain to think and come up with something sensible to say. That really, really helped. I also tried to meet and talk to a few more barristers just so that I was less nervous when I had such senior people in front of me interviewing me. Very helpful tips indeed for prospective applicants. Now, Maureen, I do know that you also have attained a scholarship. Could you give us a brief description of your scholarship? So I attained the Baroness Hale of Richmond Scholarship. It's one of the inn's most prestigious scholarships which is awarded on merit. It covers all my training costs to become a barrister, which has been the most helpful part of it. Needless to say, I would not have been able to 
go on to do the BPC without such a scholarship. And I would have had to found other means if I was to pursue such a career. How did you feel knowing that those panel of barristers, they believed in you enough to award you that scholarship? How did it feel? Oh, I definitely had to pinch myself. It was it was a feeling of excitement. But at the same time, I couldn't believe that I had been selected for such a scholarship. Although when I did attend the interview, I had such a good feeling. I had I had the best conversation. It, although it was a formal setting, I was I was seated in front of three highly experienced barristers. The conversation just did not feel as though I was sitting in front of a panel who were actually assessing me for something. It felt it felt good just to be there and the conversation just flowed and I just gave it my absolute best shot. When I left the inn, I just had such a good feeling. I knew I'd done my best and I just felt good with whatever the outcome would be because it was such an enjoyable process. What difference did attaining the scholarship have in your journey to the bar? A huge difference. As I said, I I don't think I would have been able to pursue the bar. I would not be doing the BPC this year. I would have had to find other financial means um, in order to pursue the bar. It's It's a very expensive yet rewarding process. Um, but nobody can ignore the fact that yes, you know, it costs it costs a lot of money. And unfortunately, I don't come from a lot of wealth. So that money was the difference between me pursuing a career or putting it on hold and who knows, never, never ever being able to pursue it. When preparing for the application, did you seek help from a mentor, a marine? Yes, yes, I did. It was it was actually mainly through networking with students, just students who had either gone through the process or had actually been awarded such a such scholarships, just to ask them what what process they followed, whether I could gain some tips from their experience, and I found that to be the most helpful. What about you, Felina? Did you benefit from seeking help from a mentor as well? I actually didn't seek a mentor, but I did attend any and all events about interviews, whether that was strictly scholarship interviews or pupillage or mini pupillage or just open days about chambers, just to make me feel more confident talking to barristers and getting some ideas of what I might be asked. Did you find that attending events aided your preparation for the scholarship application process as well, Maureen? No, I can't say that I did attend any events as such. It was more a case of networking with individuals who could guide me through the process and tell me what it actually entails talk me through what sort of questions to expect, what the panel will be like, who who will I be before, who will I be responding to, and that was of most helpful. Um, I also very cheekily 
looked up who or which barristers were at Gray's Inn so I could kind of observe who I would be before and what kind of barristers. Given that you are both scholars, it would only be befitting at this time to seek your advice in order to assist prospective applicants. Now, Felina, I know that you mentioned that there is a difference between scholarship interviews and job interviews. Do you think that there are some transferable skills gained in job interviews that applicants can possibly rely on when conducting their scholarship interview? Absolutely. I mean, job interviews all differ, but in general advice, the same rules in general do apply. So at a scholarship interview, they do want you to do well. I don't think the panellists want to trip you up or see you get nervous. They have this scholarship money that they want to award you they're hoping that you show what is on your written application. The same as with a job interview, you're invited there because your CV is good and you have what they're looking for. So tell yourself that when you're on the way in because you're there for a reason. This money can be yours if if you just try your best. Um, I think that you know, the standard, be confident, same as job interviews, look professional, make eye contact, etc. all applies. The questioning, I think, differs. And on occasion in a scholarship interview, you may be pushed back, which is something I don't think tends to happen in an ordinary job interview. So for example, you'll be asked a question. And when you finish your answer, the panelist will say, are you sure about that? or what makes you say that or they'll 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 question you and you may have never had that before in a job interview I certainly hadn't. Now it's interesting you mentioned push back what advice then would you give to students who feel quite daunted by hearing all of this and daunted by the application process? Yes it is daunting that someone may stop you and say well why on earth have you said that in in a sense but as I've said they the panelists are there for you to do well they're not going to be unfair to you so take a deep breath have a sip of water and just remember that you need to stand by your convictions maybe repeat what you've said or add a point if you can but just don't worry if you can help it you need to be confident Maureen, would you add anything to that advice for those students who feel quite daunted by the application process? Yes, that was brilliant advice that Fellini just gave. Um, All that I can say is that, yes, in that it is a formal setting, you are in front of a panel that are highly experienced individuals. They are there to see what value you bring or can bring to the bar. However, as Felina said, they are there to give you this money. They want to award you with this sum of money. You just have to show them that you are worthy of it and just shine. That's all you need to do. And they they are not there to trip you up. They won't try and set you back. In fact, any question they do ask is just to make you step up a little bit and just answer the question in in a more coherent clear and concise way in you know just get your argument across more than more than 
likely that will be the reasoning for them questioning you. And if any questions are asked of you, just just give a straightforward answer and stick to what you're saying. As Felina just said, you know, you've said something with conviction and stick to it. You will, you may be set back with a question or a follow-up question. Be direct. Good advice indeed, Maureen. How would you describe the level of preparation that is needed for this scholarship application, both the written and at, at the interview stage? Well, I, I would say start early. As with anything, you, if you start early, put in the effort, put in the hard work, everything will flow and everything will come together. Not only that, it will give you a chance to rectify any gaps if there are any gaps you know you 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 will have opportunities for example if if you find that you haven't done enough minis if you've started early you've got that time to build up on that application form if you leave it too late you won't have that time and once you've done the application form check it check it again and get it checked by somebody else have a second set of eyes on it because there may be something in there that you've missed grammar spelling mistakes anything anything that could make your application not have the worth that it should have felina is there anything else that students can do in order to be thoroughly prepared for the scholarship application i completely agree with what maureen has just said if you can't get another set of eyes on it from someone that you trust, then I would write your answers and wait a few days if you can and, and come back to it with fresh eyes yourself, as you may reread it and think, what was I thinking? Um, this is about a lot of money and it's really important that, as Maureen said, give it the attention it deserves. It's not necessarily a very long application and most of the answers you should really know the answer to if, if you're looking at going to the bar but if you don't something I would say is look up what the questions are and as Maureen said about mini pupillages see any gaps so if there's a question of what is your intention to practice at the bar and pupillage if you don't know that's fair enough but you need to answer that question well so perhaps you could attend some webinars on different subjects so that you can say i'm exploring my options i'm interested in xyz when approaching that written application what common errors should students look out for felina um as maureen said typos grammar i think something that we all do is we try and hit that limit so if it's a 200 word limit and and our sentences sometimes get long and complex so you should try and cut that out you know your applications are obviously read thoroughly but it shouldn't be a task for the panelists um, to really find what your points are be concise if you can as maureen said just read reread get rid of any mistakes make sure that you mention everything that you care about and that you think makes you stand out. Good advice indeed. Maureen, what, what do you think students can do to strengthen their written application? 
So one, one common theme that I've noticed from speaking to students is they don't really make use of a box at the bottom of the form which asks for any other matters that need to be highlighted. Now, this is a very important box. It's got words that you could use to your advantage. It's given you space to show any mitigating circumstances, any adversities that you've faced. Speak about them. Tell the in where you come from, what you have been through to be where you are and fill that fill that box in with the most honesty and integrity and I'm sure someone will read it and think okay yes you know this person is worthy of being invited for an interview and unfortunately a lot of students do leave that box empty. Thanks Maureen. Felina do you think there's anything else that students may be able to do to strengthen their written application? As Maureen said, that last box, I personally think is is really important. I know that we've mentioned adversity and unusual backgrounds, and this box is really helpful for that. If you're lacking in other areas, so if you haven't done many pupillages, etc., you can use this box as it's not telling you what you have to say. So I, I would just stress what, what Maureen has, has just said. Now, I noticed in the interview, you would have mentioned that it's important that students start early, start writing their applications early so that they can ascertain what is needed in order to fill in those blanks. Now, for those students who do not have a wealth of experience in advocacy or mooting related activities, what advice would you offer to them, Maureen? So I I would tell them to look at the experience that they do actually have. It could be a transferable set of skills that they've they've gained from a job. I don't know, even working at McDonald's, Tesco's, whatever you've done in life, there is always a set of transferable skill sets that you can bring to the table. So use what you have and if possible and where possible, try to gain the advocacy and mooting experience because there are a lot of opportunities out there, be it online, be it through your universities, be it through the inn. So go out and search. Do you have anything to add to this, Felina? I think Maureen is, is definitely right. If you are lacking in this area, then you should look and see what's out there to try and get some but I also agree that you may have overlooked some things that actually are advocacy so something I was actually asked in my scholarship interview was for an example of advocacy I had done that wasn't in a legal setting so it's not just the legal setting so I for example I worked in recruitment for a brief time before law and this involved some similar transferable skills so that might be something previous employment I also used something that happened back in 2007 so you can use anything just think be imaginative and do not leave that box blank Now, Felina, turning away from the written application stage and focusing now on the interview process, do you have any practical tips that you can suggest to the applicants? 
Yes. So it will be intimidating. There's no getting around that. It's a big interview. It's important to you. So you're going to feel nervous. And it tends to be in quite a formal room with with three barristers who are all very senior in front of you across a table. So deep breaths are necessary before you go in. I would just have to say you have to be confident, even if you don't feel it and your legs are like jelly, put a smile on your face, act relaxed. So perhaps you can have a glass of water in front of you. So when when you're having a bit of a moment, you can take a sip or put your hands under your legs, do anything you can to look confident. Maureen, do you have any do's and don'ts regarding the interview process? So do's I would say the usual dress smart be professional etc it's it's just a standard as though you are going to an interview a job interview you need to be professional you need to speak in a manner that is professional at all times whether it's speaking to other students at the end or whether you are speaking to one of the barristers one thing I would say following on from Felina is leave your nerves outside the door. You are going in to an interview that your potential career is dependent on. So walk in with with a smile or with the confidence and light that room up. Wow, impactful advice. Maureen, what kind of environment can students expect when entering that interview room so when you walk in yes it's it's very daunting you walk into a room with a panel of three barristers but let me tell you those barristers are so friendly they will welcome you with a smile a very warm welcome you will be seated and yes the questions will just come just make eye contact Keep smiling and answer the questions. Do not detract from the questions, which is what I would more specifically say as a don't. So if you are asked a question, make sure you respond in a way where you are actually answering the question. Following on from this, Felina, what kinds of questions can students expect to be asked? I think the really important thing to mention is that there is a topical question that you will be asked so this will obviously differ year by year um, and it's very important that this doesn't throw you you will have time just before the interview to see what that question will be so so as I mentioned earlier it's important to prepare for the simpler answers that you can prepare for ahead of time so that you can prepare for this topical question right before you walk in. The typical questions that that everyone knows I won't run through, but you will be asked likely something unusual. So I mentioned I was asked what advocacy do I do outside of law? I was I was asked to give an example of that. You may also be asked to explain an ethical or moral decision you have made, which is quite specific and, and hard to think of on the spot. I was asked, how do I persuade someone? So that's just a few examples of, of the more obscure questions you might be asked. 
the rest was all for me in relation to the area I was interested in. I was asked about my dissertation. I was asked to explain it and to explain what my opinion was on on my conclusions. I was asked about my employment and the more the more standard questions. I was also asked about a challenge or hardship that I'd faced. So so I would recommend that everyone prepare answers for for those. Felina, in in terms of preparing to answer those topical questions, how can students ensure that they're well prepared for those for those questions? Yes, so I was terrified about this. I was really worried. And what I did was I obviously followed all of the news, read as many papers as, as I could in the in the weeks up to the interview. What I found quite useful was looking at Chambers websites for when they've posted news or blogs on relevant legal matters. I found that really, really useful. Just to make it a, a bit less fearful, the topic will be something that they want you to know about. So it won't be obscure. Mine, for example, I had the choice between talking about what the challenges were facing the bar. And I was also asked um, about whether Islamic marriage should be upheld through the English courts. And that was very topical at the time that I did my interview. And I could choose between those. And I chose uh, challenges facing the bar as that was something I had prepared so as i said read the news search search for for legal changes that are happening or your particular area so the criminal bar was going through a lot and and still is and and that may be a topical question that's asked thank you maureen do you have anything to add in terms of students ensuring that they're thoroughly prepared for those questions at the interview stage Yes, I think Felina answered that thoroughly. But what I would add, and it is a piece of advice that I was given, when you are doing your research and you are preparing for these interviews, you you will be reading topical issues that are, well, current issues that are in the news. And when you do read them, think of an argument both for and against. So you are more than prepared. Uh, for any questions that are thrown at you. So what tactics then should be employed by interviewees when answering questions? What tactics did you use, Maureen? Yes, I think it it was what I just mentioned. I, I knew both sides of the argument. So when I was questioned upon something, I was able to answer with a coherent and logical response. Did you use a similar tactic, Felina, or did you did you have numerous tactics that you employed? Well, I, I completely agree with what Maureen said. You do have to have an opinion. You you can't just know about what is happening around the world, what that, that topical question may be. You have to have an opinion on it. I would just say know your application inside and out so that no questions will throw you. Right. How can students leave a good impression? They're about to leave the interview. How can they leave a good impression, Felina? 
Um, I would say smile, you've finished. Try to mention something unusual nearer the end of the interview if you can that, that makes you rememberable. I know that might be difficult, but if, if you can, something from your personal life or something that's quite different from somebody about to follow you and have their interview I would just say be confident again right until that last minute that you leave the room say how nice it was to meet them etc don't just run out because you've finished good response Maureen is there anything you would add to 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 that one just just to be courteous I think Felina answered that very well yes all all I would say is just be courteous and Give them something to remember you by. Now, we do know that the reality of this situation is that not everyone will be successful when applying for these scholarships. So what advice, Maureen, would you give to those who are unsuccessful in attaining a scholarship? I know it would it would be a difficult fact to handle because, like I said earlier, a lot of people like myself will be in a position that they are actually relying on these scholarships. But what I can say, it is not the be all and end all of everything. There, there is always the opportunity to reapply the following year, um, see where you feel like your weaknesses lay, brush upon them put more onto your CV, do more work experiences, maybe more mooting, debating, etc. Make yourself stand out more. But don't be disheartened. It does not mean that you are not good enough. And yes, you, you will get to the bar. If that's where you want to be, you will get there. Well said. Felina, do you have any advice to share? Thank you. I think that was a great answer. I completely agree. The only thing I would add is that that completed application for scholarship, even if you haven't got an interview, it's something you can build on next time or you can build on for other scholarship applications or interviews. Just because you don't get a scholarship from your in, there may be university scholarships that you can look at. It's not your one shot and it will be good practice if you get an interview and you don't succeed, then you know better for next year there's a lot of competition it is easy to be disheartened but as Maureen said you will get there just keep trying thank you both Felina and Maureen for such an inspirational discussion I know that I thoroughly enjoyed it and I, I hope you did as well so thank you guys for coming on to the show this evening thank you thank Nia, you for having us Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review. And for more information, check us out on Twitter at RaisingTheBarGI.